All right, welcome to Call and Shots, a cataclysmic Friday afternoon edition. Uh, I'm joined by uh, uh, one of the uh, the deans of of NBA online media. I would say at this point, uh, Matt Moore, uh, HP uh, Hardwood Proxism, HP Basketball, the podium bear himself of the Action <laughs> Network, uh, who's going to come uh, take some victory laps over me. Um, about <laughs> some of some of of the happenings of the playoffs so far, Matt. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm. I'm frankly, I'm still annoyed by the Minnesota Memphis game. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I just like everything. Like, I'm just annoyed by that game. Like both teams, everything about both teams annoyed me in that game. Um, yeah, and I'm sure you. <laughs> although. Uh, in 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 uh, our in our Slack channel that we're in, you were uh, at one point you were crowing about nailing the series, and then not so much. Man, just God. So here's what's here's here's like a good example of like how I think about basketball and what I miss, right? Because like one of the things I said when I capped the series is I said I don't think the Wolves are going to win many, if any, of the close games, right? Like if these games are close and it's crunch time and things are tense. I don't trust Minnesota's composure. I don't trust their execution. I don't trust their personalities. So, like, that inherently should have been, like, a warning sign, maybe a little bit bigger. But I get so honed in on the tactical side. I get so honed in on, look, the Grizzlies can't score in the half court. The Wolves' half court defense is pretty good. The The Grizzlies are great in transition. As long as the Wolves exert some level of discipline there, which they did for three quarters. <laughs> well, no, they, they did for the first and third quarter. Yeah, like as long as they do that, then they're going to be. Then they can they can legitimately win this series. And they responded the way that I thought they would in terms of um, I knew like I was impressed that Jenkins went small as soon as he did in game two, and then I was impressed equally that Finch in game three was like we're going to kill him on the boards now because that to me was like the adjustment is all right. You want to go Jaron five, Clark four. We got Nas Reed. We got Vanderbilt. We've got Towns. We're going to kill you on the glass now. And they did until the Grizzlies got downhill. And once I will say this, like, I don't know any team that senses momentum and senses weakness in their opponent like Memphis. Like well, they, just, State, but... they just jump on it. <laughs> I'll say this. I think Memphis is even better at the, than the Warriors are at it. Like, the Warriors have these insane runs, and they just keep tilting you, but they don't necessarily like just overwhelm you. But with this like complete, they're like a pack of dogs that just jump all over you. And the the Grizzlies just ran over them. It's a really tough beat. <laughs> you had plus two like I did. It's a really tough beat if you bet the Wolves like I did. Like this is this one in game one of the Nets series or two that. I'm just like, man, those were high win probability situations where everything in terms of the the tactical matchup was correct, but you can't control for coaching and you can't control for personalities. And those two things uh, really, I thought, played a part in the series. So let's you, you said one thing, and this is something that I, I am I am less sanguine about than you are, um, is is the Grizzlies going small. Now, I agree with you that this is maybe not a great Stephen Adams series, and he's probably is a guy who should play less in the postseason. I think that, that basically jettisoning him from the rotation two minutes into the second game of the playoffs against a team that you, you're probably, you should be pretty confident 
you're going to beat. I feel like that's a early miss over reaction. Um, and, uh, and, and the, the flip side of that, like if you're shrinking your rotation, why are, or you're changing your rotation or removing players from your rotation, why are you still playing 10 guys? I like take the totality of those moves. I don't love because what happens is, first of all, I think Jaron can play five. I think if you're asking him to play five for 30 minutes, I think you're going to get 18 minutes of him at five because he's going to have six fouls. Right. Um, and uh, so, and then now you now you're play, well. We're playing without a starting because we can't. We're not. We decided we're not playing Adams, and Jaron Jackson has picked up four cheap fouls. So, and, and this is not a great series for him. Even though, like, can't he just guard Vanderbilt? But anyway, um, yeah, I think. Tell me why I'm wrong. I, so I think here, here's. It's mostly about scheme. Right, it's it's just entirely about scheme. Is that you can't put Adams in space on D'Lo or Edwards. You can put Jaron in space on D'Lo or Edwards, and that's what they've done. And Memphis's offense, when they're playing versus the switch, is very low. Like this has been a problem for Jaw all year, in part because like, um, like Jaw, like Jaw has problems on the offensive end. Um, the Wolves' offense, meanwhile, like does have the guys to break down containment and then they're creating threes, which obviously like Memphis is shooting a lot of in the series. And that's like keeping them, like that's been a big part of their ability to win the series is basically like they they've adjusted to shoot more threes and Bane's a really good shooter. To me, that's like the gap here is like with Adams, you've got to play drop. And if you is play drop, versus, Russell beating you four times in seven games. Really? I, I, if you look back at the season series, he averaged 28 versus them because of this. Okay. Like, so I don't know who on Memphis is getting over the screen to be able to contest well, because what they'll do is like, I, in my opinion, they would probably run, they'll target whoever Jaws guarding, put him in that action. And that's where I think that breaks down. Sure. But again, I, but again, I ask like, is, is this, is this guy, is D'Angelo Russell, in a, you know, okay, fine, it's not a great matchup for us. Is that a not great matchup to the point that we're going to completely change everything we did all season? I think, to, I think, well, what, here's the thing. I think if nothing else, like, like if you can't do it versus the Wolves, then you're going to be in even more trouble versus other teams where you can't do this, right? Like, you need to have it in the, you need to have that weapon. And they also did, I don't think they did enough during the regular season. So I, I think there'll, there'll be spots for Adams. Um, I think, Making the adjustment early and then riding with it because you had success with it is important. And we oftentimes see coaches like really resist that because of what you're talking about, right? Is the idea of like, like coaches are always like, look, this is who we were all year. We got to, you know, 50 wins, 48 wins, 52, 60 wins, like with this team. We were a good team in the regular season. And for me, I'm just like, look, if there's a, if there's an advantage, if you're just like, no, this is better for us, like it's, it, it, it's better for us overall. Then, then twist it. And I think the job that they've done on Russell, honestly, like I, I can hear in your voice the disdain, which makes sense. He's a very not you player. Um, I think for me, D'Lo is really inconsistent. But if he does have a good series, that I think drops Memphis's winning percentage significantly. Like keeping him under wraps, I think is really important because of his ability to shoot off the dribble, his ability to get to the rim, like all of these types of things where deal is a very flawed and limited player in a lot of ways. But the other thing is 
once you start going into drop, it's just you're there's always like, oh, I can reach over, I can help down a little bit, and can oh, nope, he had he passed out for a three. And like, I, I honestly think this is part of it, Seth, is I think one of the reasons that Switch works so well in the playoffs is because it limits. It, it helps with game plan discipline. It's just really easier to be like, we're just going to switch everything and just stand by your guy rather than, Hey, I need you to like, if it's, if he's here, then do this. If he's here, then do that. If it's, if this, if, you know, if he's behind them, then go here. If he's got him in jail and he's going to burst forward, you know, make sure you help down, but also recover. There's no decision-making. It's just like, no, just stay with, just switch everything. Stay with the guy. That's it. And I think that that's, that's big. There's, there's no chance for defensive hero ball or less chance for defensive hero ball. It's like, oh, I'm going to make this great help and recovery, and oh, my guy just banged the three. So, but here's so okay. You're worried about D'Angelo Russell, but here's but on the other end, you're, you're taught. You just said that the, the the kind of there's two things that I think that that again playing Jaron at the five foul trouble, playing Jaron yeah. at the five rebounding, um, and yeah. what have been the two like two of the big factors in Minnesota's success so far the, the, in in the postseason and. and is is those things and especially their ability to get to the rim and score pretty much without resistance when when Jackson is not there. Yeah. So I'm and just so I'm, think- I'm so my so yeah, like every team is good and they're going to present some problems. So I'm just I'm wondering about the like focusing on this one aspect of this guy but then yeah. the other things you're sacrificing and it's just like Yeah, well, you know, I think the, I, I guess here's the, the question is I don't I don't know what Adams is – I think – I'm a big Steven Adams guy. I don't know what he's giving you in the series. If you want to just say, like, well, you're just going to kill him on the offensive glass, and that's what you're going to do. I think the, the problem there is you get into a math game where I think with Adams on the court, you're more likely to give up threes, and we kind of saw that in game one. And if they're you're, – then you're relying on you – the, you have to get the offensive rebound, and you have to convert. And those things are more difficult even if you have an advantage there. So – like I look at it as, you know, and honestly, part of this is, it, it, I, I think I'll say this: I liked I liked Minnesota for this reason, <laughs> like it was because I didn't think that them going small was like, oh, they're going to kill them. Then I was like, no, I think Minnesota has an edge there too. Like that's why I got to Minnesota winning the series is I was like, oh, they're going to force Adams off the floor. And even then, they have a counter that I don't think Memphis can counter the counter to. And what's happened is I've largely been right. But one, Minnesota is full of invertebrates. And two, um, you've got, I think, like, even though they've gotten this advantage, like Brandon Clark has really brought it. You mentioned the depth thing. Here's an interesting thing I think about that. I'm watching the Nuggets last night push so hard in the third quarter. Jokic is making like hard run out desperation closeouts on shooters. Everyone's scrambling for loose balls. They busted their ass to get back in that game. And down the stretch in crunch time, they were exhausted and sloppy and made a ton of mistakes. And so I look at the fatigue factor and like Clark gives up a bunch of size but Clark got a ton of those offensive rebounds last night and has given them that because they're able to go deeper. And I think that their guys have an edge in terms of the fatigue factor. If you're going to, if you're going to play the way that Memphis does, which is like, we're going to jump all over you all the time. You got to have, you got to be conditioned. You got to be in good. You got to have energy. You got to have stamina and endurance and, you know, playing a deeper rotation, I think helps with that. And that, that to me, I think is where, I'm always like, ah, does depth really matter in the playoffs? 
I think if you're playing the style that Memphis does, I think I'm kind of learning that yeah, it does. So it's it's I, Clark is not the guy who I'm wondering about. It's like okay, uh, especially with some of the foul trouble they've gotten in, which you know sort of is what it is when you're you're, you're dealing with with Jaron Jackson at this point. We kind of thought he'd solve that a little bit this year, and then not so much at, in, at the postseason. Um, so so Tillman, because you're, you're getting in foul trouble, that makes sense. Uh, D'Anthony Melton's played 39 minutes this series. Zaire Williams has played 37. Like that's that to me is 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 part of it as well. I just, I don't think Zaire Williams is ready to to be a playoff player. Yeah, I don't either. And, and like Anthony Melton's good, and they need one more like guy who can make plays with the ball on the floor a lot. And like Anthony Melton's not great at anything, but he's good at a lot of things. And that just that's that seems like that's sticking to a ten man rotation for the sake of sticking to a ten man rotation. Yeah, and I think I don't think you can get away with it next round. I like I, I will say I, I think I, I think, mean are they I mean are you know depending on on what, like how short Minnesota's memory is they might not get away with it this round. I agree. I, I'm surprised Zaire's in and Zaire's hit some threes and and had some lob opportunities and made these big effort plays. Um, I don't have his plus minus in front of me, so I don't know what the what the overall results are. But I, I agree. Like to me, I to be honest, with you, I didn't love Zaire in the regular season. Um, he started a lot, and I was just like, oh, I don't like these lineups. Just because he's just not ready. Like, I just think that he needs another year, and they're really committed to his development. And he can definitely, like, he's getting great experience and can make a huge leap year over year. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's possible if they can figure out a way to target him more in these situations, I think they can take advantage of that. I think they can win his minutes. I mean, they, they've had success uh, success going at him, just, like, driving right at yeah. him. Yeah, um, so... He's just, but then, he's not, but then, I agree with you. He's not ready. So, yeah, I mean, and then we, I mean, we've like you know, I'm complaining mostly about Memphis because, despite the fact them winning, I mean, what what is Minnesota doing offensively? I think like all the stuff <laughs> you're, you're talking about, like it wasn't. I don't even think it was necessarily Minnesota's like. Their their, their problem was how bad their offense was, how bad their half court yeah, offense. I agree. Was, how much their offense allowed. Memphis to play in the break, play in semi-transition, play in situations where, you know, Bain is not an advantage creator, but he's a pretty good advantage exploiter. And just all these little cracks because, oh, we jacked up another sidestep three. Like, yeah. This is the thing. Like, you're worrying about, you're worrying about, like, D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards beating you with pull-ups. Yeah. I I'm, mean, I'm but, sort of okay <laughs> saying, go ahead, beat us yeah, with Yeah, but pull-ups. here's the thing. Well, here, here's the difference I'd say, though, is that the, they're, they're not – you're worried about them beating you with clean, open, yeah. untested pull-ups in rhythm versus the Wolves who are like, hmm, I could run a pick-and-roll here and try and get loose, or I could go for this home run shot in transition, and if we hit it, it's a massive swing, and they always opt for that. Like – their sense, like the, the three minutes left. The, the yeah, like the yeah. game sense is just so painful, right? And, and so, and he, and like, and you know, the, like, okay, they're a young team, but he's twenty six. This is his seventh year in the league. Yeah, I it's, don't think they're young. Oh uh, yeah, I, I don't like, think they're I'm, young. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to not sound uh, as it, I'm trying to not sound as annoyed as him, but I'm really annoyed with you yeah, know, I, and yeah. I, and I get it, but like and, this is also, you know, yeah. If you here's the thing. 
if the Wolves make things easy for D'Lo and D'Lo makes things easy on himself, he can be a swing factor in the series. And instead, he's opted for the hardest route possible, and you're not going to beat Memphis that way. Like, you're just not. This is not like, you know, the the the, 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 the Memphis isn't, like, they're not comfortable in a lot of these situations, but if you just, if you, if you're taking the path of least resistance towards contested shots that are low percentage, like that's where they'll beat you. Cause you mentioned it. Like you're going to run off of all these long rebounds. Your floor is going to be imbalanced. And a lot of this is not only do they have D'Lo, but it's like they have D'Lo and Ant who gets, who gets way too amped up sometimes because he's young. I think Ant will get better. And they have Malik Beasley. Like the Beasley minutes have been a disaster in large part because like that's like part of who Malik is. Like everyone just sees the threes and is like, oh, what a good player. It's like, nah, the net is always kind of a negative with Malik for a number of reasons. Um, they needed, to me, like it does, it was a fascinating example of that game last night. It was a fascinating example of how <laughs> having a veteran. <laughs> does not mean you have the right veteran because if you have any other veteran with Pat Bev's experience and skill level, which isn't necessarily high, right? Just like a Pat Bev level player who's not Patrick Beverly, that player is like, guys, calm down, run the offense. We're fine. Let's get an easy bucket here. We'll get in the call timeout and we'll be okay. And they don't have that because their veteran leader their veteran leader is volatile. Their franchise superstar center is erratic. Ant is still super young, and D'Lo's D'Lo. Like, that lack of, of right. poise was just right. crushing for a team that has a lot of the pieces, and it's not that they can't put it together. They just don't. Like, Pat Bev is better in sort of the the the... It, if if he could be the in the hype man role, not the MC, yeah, yeah, and that's and that in Minnesota asks him to to you know in, in the master of ceremony sense, like asks him to like do that a little too much, and sometimes that works. And there are teams for which like his energy would be beneficial, and I think it is a net benefit to the Wolves. It just like there are times when it exacerbates tendencies, like last night. And yeah. So let's let's talk about Cat. Because, and by the way, folks that are listening, like, this, there's enough going on with all these series that if you've got a question for us, please, you know, raise your hand, jump in. We'll, we're happy to take them because we're going to hit on some topics where Matt and I have and will go back and forth on this show, next show, in private, <laughs> Forever. on Twitter, on over email, next time we see each other in person. <laughs> um, so anything to break that up is, is, is welcome as well. Um, so... How much of this, how much of, of like his lack of involvement is on him? How much of it is, you know, everything we've just talked about with their perimeter play being so. Like last night, it's, it's fair to say their perimeter play was wild. Yeah. And it's especially frustrating where, you know, the reason Jaron Jackson has fouls is he picked up like three of them trying to stop Cat from posting him up. And if like yeah. they're committing fouls on him to try to post up. Hey, they don't want this to happen. Maybe we should just go in the there. And if nothing else, that at least like allows them to have a balanced sense of possession, so their transition defense is going to be good. Like, uh, I think where, do, where is do we, where's the responsibility there? 
to me when I've watched when I when I've done the the film on it, what I notice is like the hard doubles, and there's I can tell that Cat's not comfortable reversing the ball. Like he could do it, but you know, Embiid had this issue too. Where if you send that double at him, he just gets a little frantic. He gets pushed out of his spot, and then he's fading away, trying to pass it to the weak side. And they had some turnovers there with that, and both live ball and dead ball. And it feels a lot like. And he talked. He talked about this last night about how I need to make the right reads, and I don't think he's wrong. The difference here, I think, in part is um, there are different ways. And this, to me, honestly, falls on Finch, who again I think is a great coach and is doing a good job in this series outside of not calling timeout last night. I think um, the answer here is to get cat moving. You want him moving off of cuts and off of screens to where they, the defense is trying to figure out where he's going to be to send the double rather than a stationary post up, which they're like, all right, they're going to, here's the entry pass. All right. Now we're going to help down and do that because I think cat's a good passer. I think that the weak side reversal in particular makes it tough for him and so he just needs he'll get he's still getting better at 20 at 26 or whatever so like to me he's he's gonna get better at these kind of things but that to me is like the big key here is uh i don't think that he wants to he doesn't want to make a catastrophic mistake and the result is that it's overall like hurting them because the the grizzlies have been able to neutralize them and they can't they can't afford for him to be neutralized I mean, he's not making the catastrophic mistakes, so instead we end up with, you know, a, a, a step back leading three right. Right. from someone right. who shouldn't be. Yeah. Ugh. All right. I'm I'm still I'm like I'm not gonna get less annoyed by by that game, Bataki. Let's move <laughs> on. Let's let's talk about uh, our favorite topic. Uh the Charlotte Hornet scorching situation. No, I'm I'm kidding. Um and though this is related, however, to the Charlotte, the, the, the Jazz uh, Mavericks series, which I think is related because if this goes the way it looks like it's going, then the Jazz are going to get broken up, right? Yeah. Yep. I, I, yep. Uh, um, and one of the sort of the obvious go bear landing spots is Charlotte, but that's, but that's, you know, be that as it may. Um we talked about this on, 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 on Nerder and about team identity. And this is now a multi-year pattern with Utah completely changing how they play basketball as soon as we get to the playoffs. And um, largely for the worse because their regular season identity is tailored to their personnel and their playoff identity isn't. Um, how much of this is just a poor roster con- or poor playoff roster construction, how much of it is uh, kind of the dynamics of that team, if we will, and just how much of it is just, is the nature of playoff basketball in your mind? Yeah, so I, I think the starting point's probably, I think it's going to be hard <laughs> to win. I think, it, I, I think it's going to be hard to win when you don't trust each other from the very get-go. And I don't think they trust each other at all. I don't think... And that, that, to me, honestly, starts with Donovan. Like, Donovan doesn't trust Rudy, but it's not just him. I think Donovan, like, trusts Royce in certain spots. I think he trusts Mike. I think he trusts Clarkson. Uh, I think he trusts Bogey. But I don't think that he has a lot of trust in his teammates or the team as a, as a whole, which is why he tries to go hero mode so often to such terrible results because he's not as good as he thinks he is. And so that causes a lot of issues. 
Um, so that's a starting point, you know, roster construction wise, look, the, the fans have been saying for years, Hey, we don't have enough perimeter defenders. Like we just can't, we just don't, the perimeter defense is bad. And it fell off very quickly when they added, like they had a really great perimeter defense. And then they were like, well, we need a little bit more offense. Let's go get bogey. Okay. All right. Well, he's not as good as maybe we thought he was, but that's fine. But we need one more like creator next to Donovan. Oh, let's go get Mike Conley. Okay. You know, we got Mike Conley. He's like, he's been a good defender his, his whole career. Yeah, Mike's, Mike's past that point, right? So now all of a sudden you have Bogey, who's not a good defender. Mike is not a good defender. And Donovan, who's like a worse defender and worse passer than he was three years ago. And that's stunning, but true. And so now you, now it, it is very simple it is, hey, make Rudy choose between uh, a contested layup, oftentimes uncontested, and a wide open three. And make him choose. And whichever one he chooses, we'll hurt him with. You know, and, and I go back and forth on what the because this is where it gets into like the the math part of it, which you're obviously gonna know more of what's like the conversion rate on a contested layup with the defender slightly behind you, but still able to get a hand in your face layup attempt. What's the the points per production there versus a wide open corner three? from a 40% catch and shoot shooter like that equation, I don't know how to balance because of the variables on the layup. And so then, then they're caught in this unending cycle of trying to figure it out. And that's on the defensive side of the ball. And then you go on the offensive side of the ball and it's, it's all of like playing small ball switch all exacerbates the jazz's perimeter weaknesses and negates their defensive strength and go bare while on the other end, playing switch plays into the perimeter's weakness, the, the perimeter guy's weakness, which is trying to beat guys off the dribble uh, versus a switch and lack of off-ball movement. And Rudy can't punish the switch onto somebody small, even if he does get the ball, which he usually doesn't. So it's like, you know, to me, you need like a different you do need different di- perimeter guys. Like you just do, you know, like if you if you had a different point guard or a different league guard rather than, than Mitchell, and you had better perimeter defenders with Gobert, you could probably still muck this series up enough for it to be close enough and get out of it. But this combination of factors is what makes it untenable and is why they're going to get broken up. Yeah, and I think we, I mean, we a lot of credit to Dallas here as well. Yeah, like, for sure. It's like, and if, if one knew this series, one would wonder... Why? Why do they keep showing this guy on Dallas's bench who's never played? Because right. like right. one of these teams, one of these teams looks like the team that's trying to figure it out without their, and it's not Dallas. Yeah, which yeah. is you know, um, it's 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 kind of it's kind of amazing. I mean, it's I've you know, this, it's funny. Two of the guys I've been sort of most out on in in kind of recent draft classes have been Jalen Brunson and Jordan Poole, and that's that's looking pretty good for me right now. <laughs> wow. Um, but Jen, like, um, I still like, I'm still, I'm, 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 this is going to sound weird given how like, like nuclear he's gone this series. I'm still not convinced by Jalen Brunson, but man, is this a good matchup for him? Like, yeah, he, yeah. he, this is, this is the closest he's been able to do to like the bully ball point guard style that he played at Villanova in the pros. Cause he's just, whichever, whether it's Conley, whether it's, it's, Mitchell, even if it's Royce O'Neal, he is bullying, physically bullying the Jazz's guards to the basket. 
And that like, if, you know, if the jazz are big and there's someone at the rim, he's kicking it out. If they're small, he's just shooting a layup. And, and he's shooting floaters. Uh, like, like he's he, so he, his floater, his floater game versus the drop is big too. So now you got the okay. I need to step up, and then he's really good about up faking a little and then continuing to the basket and using the screener as a, a rescreen on the layup too. That's been big. Like he's just he's crafty. Uh, he's crafty. He's got good touch. He's playing really well right now. Um, you know, I think this is going to get him paid and he'll probably be overvalued then, right? Like, that's kind of how it goes is, you know, not paid, really good value, gets rewarded for that, and then is overvalued relative to contribution, which limits what you can put around him. Um, but I, I think he's been – he's it, it was just after game one. So my entire angle on the series was, like, before the series, I wrote, wait until game one, the Jazz are going to win game one, and then you should bet Dallas. And it went to plus 500, and that's what I did. And, like, long way to go. Still only 2-1. Feeling pretty good. Uh, because, I, especially after game one, I knew I was going to go in because it was like, all right, one of Spencer or Jalen is going to have a better game. And it's been Jalen and not Spencer, although Spencer hit some big shots late last night. But, you know, he's been bad overall, as, as Kirk keeps lamenting. But uh, Has he? I don't yeah. like, I think he, he has gotten to the basket a lot. Like, he hasn't hasn't always finished, but I feel like, like as part of like the, 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 the parade of Mavericks into the paint, he's certainly been a part of it. Yeah. He hasn't been quite as effective as Brunson, but it hasn't been like, you know, it hasn't been like, Oh, Brunson's getting to the paint and killing us and nobody else. It's like, yeah, no, he, I think it's been been attacking. I think the misses are, are feel killer when you're in a series like this. And then on top of it, just, if he misses the easy ones and he tends to make the harder ones, it feels like sometimes with Dimity. So I think that's, that's part of the equation as well. Like I've been, I, I think it's been great to see like Finney Smith, like DFS went from, Hey, you know, who's pretty good last year. Like, Hey, you know, who's pretty good defensively to this year. It's like, Holy shit. Like DFS is like a serious, like all defense candidate. Like DFS is locking up Mitchell. And has been played like under control and really good basketball. Like they're not only doing this without Luca, which that's its own thing, but they're doing it without THJ too. Like, well, that's maybe that's. I mean, frankly, with what they've gotten from like, you know, especially uh, you know Bullock is solid, and what they've yeah. gotten from Smith, I would say that uh, honestly THJ would, might be a net negative in this series. Mm, interesting. Um, I like his off the dribble game just a little bit, just on, on closeouts and stuff like that, but. Yeah, but I, just, just as a, as something that the Jazz could pick at at the other end. So let me as, let me ask much you, anything. Let me ask you the the, yeah. the the big the big key thing here, it, which is just, yeah. um, am I wrong that if Gobert could punish these switches, it would at least make it harder for them to play the lineups that kill them? <sighs> so there, to some extent, yes. However, there are, first of all, they like, you know, like, you know, um, I, I've told you this before and I've talked about this before. Dave Dufour and I were at the, the game where the Jazz played the Celtics um, right before the shutdown uh, in, in 2020. It was at, at the same time as Sloan. We were in the media seats up in the gantry and we were laughing at, like we had, there'd been a little bit of the Rudy Donovan stuff come out so far, but nothing huge. And we were just laughing at, like, it wasn't just Rudy, like the number of times like jazz players just didn't, like 
the ball would get double teamed. He'd roll hard to the rim, and they would just be standing under the basket, two feet in the paint, the only player in the paint with his arms out, and they wouldn't throw him the ball. So, like, just take the dunk. Like, throw him the ball, take the dunk. Even if he only catches 75% of that, those passes, like, that's still, that's still three dunks and four possessions. So that's pretty good. Um, the other thing is, is by going hero ball so early, they're not discombobulating the defense to the point where he's a really good offensive rebounder. And you get you crack a defense a little bit and get him in rotation. That gives him pretty good chances to get on the boards. And that's another way where like that, that oftentimes like more skill limited bigs can have a positive impact. I mean, even like last year, um, you know, yes, Brooke Lopez can catch the ball and make a play. But f- for example, in some of the games where uh, Giannis is out against Atlanta. It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, him bombing threes or him posting up. Though he did some of that a little bit. A lot of it was him just like, oh, John Collins is guarding me. He's having to take one step towards the ball. I'm going to wedge him under the basket and then put him in the basket with the ball. And because the Jazz are just doing so little advantage creation, it's now Rudy's trying to have to go through, you know, a box out and one more guy to try to get to the rebound off of you know, Mitchell or Clarkson or whoever else's pull up. Yeah. I, um, I broke down some of this in the video that I did. <laughs> They've tried to reward him in game two. Like you tell all the conversation about Rudy having no touches like that, that very clearly got into some sort of meeting and they were trying to, to kind of correct for that. And like Rudy caught it on the short roll and had two turnovers and he had the post up, which was a disaster. And he had a transition bucket which was just like really terrible. And I feel bad because it honestly feels like now there's this pressure on him. It's, it's honestly, it's not Ben Simmons to that level, but it's a little bit of the, the expectation is so high because of the pressure. I do feel like he's like, I finally got a touch. I better convert on this one. Cause they finally let me have the ball. And you never heard about Jason Chandler, not being able to punish a small guy. You never hear sure. about like Clint Capella. Not yeah. being able to, you know, so it just, it's, it's, it, so it's, it's, it's curious that like all of this sort of mold of centers of which he is the best, like, why is that a particular problem with him? Yeah. Or it's, it, I, I think here's the thing is like, there's a lot of teams where it wouldn't be. Yeah. You know, they had a better league guard. You're right. Cause they just be hitting lobs like Harden. Um, getting like imagine lobs the or again, like, like getting, Offensive right. rebounds. Yeah. Um, like, imagine the damage he would do next to Prime Harden. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's unspeakable. But I, I, mean, I think LaMelo Ball is standing right there. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's the, the answer here. You know, or Luca. Like, there's been a lot of talk about that as well. Um, I think where I get to is how do you solve the problem? Like, regardless of whose fault it is, right. Like, how do you solve the problem? And what I always kind of get to is like, look, if you want to get past this, the best way to do it is you need to have somebody in there that can punish them. Like you just need to have somebody in there to be like, no, no, you're going to have to play Dwight Powell. Like you're going to have to play, you're going to have to play Dwight Powell. And even then you're going to be giving up a size advantage. Like we're going to, we're going to hurt you for this. Like we're badly going to hurt you and you're going to get threes. Okay. But we're going to shoot 55% in the stretch and we're going to make it hurt bad. And we're going to put all that mental stress on you where you're basically trying to have it feel worse than it actually is. And we're going to test your game plan discipline. And that to me is is how you solve the problem. Yeah. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I'm here. It's me. 
Sorry, that was me for a second. Um, no, so I was, I was going to say, like, um, yeah, I mean, the other thing is, is, is you, you do that a little bit. You, you keep them out of transition, too. You get, like, offensive rebound, great way to transition. Because you get some. Like, it's a sort of a paradox. Because going for offensive rebounds can, like, sending guys to the glass can give up transition. But getting offensive rebounds is a great way to not let the other, like, the other team stop sticking out. Because, oh, man, we got to help on the glass because they're killing us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I agree on, on that front. And like the, the, the really where it kind of gets, just kind of gets into is, um, I, I look at it more as look, they pay him 35 million a year and it's just tough to have 35 million on the floor when I don't know if he's the best option. And, but there's also like, look, you could make the case that if the nuggets had like a dominant small ball option, like, would they be better off just having a small ball option and switching one through five? Like, if they could, if it was like, look, Jokic is everything to us, but we need to be able to get stops in the series, and we need to be able to to switch the one five. It's just going to make things a lot easier on us because that's what always gives the Warriors issues. Um, like, why don't we do that? And that wouldn't matter in this series. But this is the thing: is I think being able to to bench your best guys in matchups where it just doesn't work for them is such a luxury because of the politics of the NBA. That to me is, is like, that's, that's such a huge deal being able to be like, Hey, um, it's better to have guys who are matchup proof. But I think if you run into these situations, you just need to, and you know, the fact that it took Snyder until game three at home down 17 to be, Hey, maybe we, we need to, and I don't even necessarily like the, the, the Pascal move. You know, I like Pascal in, in general, and I think that he's probably got a role in the series, but I don't even necessarily love that one as much. I just trying to figure out how to solve for this. And maybe you're right that it's just like, hey, if Donovan just played better, and I think that is like a lot of it. Like if Donovan Mitchell just played better, they have a higher chance of winning the series. But with the challenges that they're presenting, you have to solve the problem. And to me, like the quickest path from A to B is being able to exert enough pressure on them when they're going to switch things. So we have kids, you know, you know what this, this, this jazz team reminds me of it's gum in the hair. <laughs> you know, it's, and for those who don't, if you don't have kids, you know, there's, you know, there's not really, you can try to, you can try to walk, you can try to, but really the best thing to do at that point is you just, you got to cut, cut the cut hair off. The, yeah. That feeling the gum's getting no. out. And that, that seems like, you know, for everything they've tried, it's more, and more like it's, it's it's time. I'm I, uh, I forget. You know, at, like like you, I'm in you know 17 group chats, and in one of them, someone said, "I can't wait to never see this version of the jazz again." And I think that um, they're just <laughs> yeah. they're 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 frustrating, and both to watch just viscerally, and also like the narrative they produce is is, is tiresome. Yeah. Um, do we want do we want the Nuggets, or is that just like they don't have the they don't have the horses. Golden State is healthier than uh, it's probably above median expectations would be before the playoffs and that wrap. Is it? Is it? Is yeah, it I, is it? I think I, I'll just say this. I, I think changes are coming and this is just a consequence of how the year ended. They held out for a long time. And this is like an interesting concept, I think, which is. What if they really were as good as that as that six game sample when they were healthy before Murray's injury, and then it's been a calendar year, and people just change in a year, 
and dynamics change in a year and players change in a year because I'll just tell you like in, inside Denver, both uh, around the team and a little within, like there's a little, like there's, there's frustration with Will Barton and the idea of who was really good by the way, in the games where they were healthy last year. But there is kind of like a sense of like this, this may be it. Like we may have to go in a different direction. There does seem to be, I think, um, based off of how they're going to lose the idea of even with the injuries, there has to be significant improvements in the overall roster to ensure that no matter what happens, you don't waste another Jokic season. And so uh, I don't know what that looks like, but I would say that there's all number of the, the challenge here is, and they would admit to this, which is like, well, sure, we'd like to get better but the offer actually has to be on the table. Like, they're pretty realist about what they have to deal. They don't go into the off season with like, I think our guys, like if we just decided to trade this guy, we could get a haul. That's not how they approach it. They're always like, I mean, what are we going to get? You know, that's the question. <laughs> it's like, what are we going to generate on the market and who can we get that wants to be here? Cause that's such a key part of it is like, you got to have guys that don't care about the market because nobody wants to play in Denver for a variety of reasons. So um, I think they'll explore a number of big things. I think they'll look at small things. Like I don't expect the idea going into the season. If you told me like, Hey, Jamal's not going to make it back. And MPJ gets hurt. I would have been like, Oh, they'll just like, they'll just basically punt the year and then reboot for next season because they'll believe in the core. And that's where they were at, at Christmas. That's where they were at, at the deadline. And that's where they were at on March 1st. And then things have happened since then. And they are not there anymore. That's interesting, and I don't know. I, I would say almost unwise. It's like because I, I think that, like saying that, get the like if there's one thing that Denver actually is in a pretty like, they like when you slot guys into where they should be on the roster, they have a pretty strong roster top to, top to bottom, and you take like the you know you know the second best and either third or fourth best player off of any team, and don't give them any replacement like. How many teams in the NBA survive? Yeah, and so it's like, yeah, yeah. Will Barton when he's when he's your fifth best starter and fourth best creator is a lot better than Will Barton as your third best starter and second best creator. Yeah, for them, I think it's about the defense. It's about point of attack, which has been poor. Yeah, all like constantly, and a lot of this is just because they lean towards they lean towards high IQ creation guards who are small. Yeah. Like it's hard to find big high IQ creation cards. Those are very rare. And so they just, even if they get a good rotation, those guys will get blown by. And the, you know, the idea is like, look, Jamal, when he let, when he got hurt was actually like, a, I would say a plus defender. He got, he learned really, he learned how to navigate screens so well that it was like, okay. He's also you bigger than you think. I think, like Murray's a little bit bigger than you than you think too. I think is is part of right. it. Right. He's it's like he, he that was a notable change like in the break between the shutdown and the bubble is and and I was written about the time like you know he's added ten pounds of muscle but he got he he looked legitimately stronger in the bubble and all of last season before he got hurt and yeah. so that like you know getting back to a little bit to to the Utah series like this is something I think we've talked about before is the importance of sort of body strength, physical body strength in the playoffs. And that, you know, you look at even like the, yeah, you look at the the bench guards 
for Denver who are getting pressed into service. Like Monte Morris is small. Bones Highland is skinny. Facundo Campazzo is tiny. Austin Rivers battles, but he's small. And, you know, that's like how is Jalen Brunson, for example, managing to dominate the series is he's just bowling balling people. And, you know, in the playoffs, that's something that is especially strength in perimeter players is something that is very important. And that's part of why Aaron Gordon was a good addition. It's because he's strong. But the like if you look at their perimeter, they're not. Like Murray is Murray is adequate and the rest of them are, are under underweight, under strength, undersize relative to the playoff. Yeah, I think there's a there's an awareness this year that it was like a perfect hellstorm for them in terms of the bench unit fell off so hard, Composo fell off so hard. All these things fell off simultaneously so hard that I think like uh, there was a real like it, it, nothing went right, and so they're trying to resist that urge. And I'll say they have not been a front office to overreact. They they are pretty patient, and I think there's still a confidence that like look fully healthy, we're in a much better spot. We're probably in a better matchup. We're able to compete with this team better. Like there's an awareness of that. I think that just the question it just is. Like one chemistry, and then two, is it just time for some change? And I think there's also kind of like a gonna need. It's tough because you have to find ways to upgrade defensively without getting worse offensively, and that's a challenge. But it's like okay, if we if we can balance this a little bit, how much do we need? I honestly think one of the other things is, you know, they really value having creation at so many levels, and I think they have too much creation. And How much not do you need that with Jokic. Yeah, yeah. You need, that's, that's a thing, you, need right? you need finishers. You need finishers. You don't need creators as much. Like having a second, but you, like having Murray as a second creator, but like having your your fifth guy be able to put the ball on the floor in a against you know a set defense. Who cares? Like you know if if that's what you're relying on anyway. Um, so the uh, the Michael Porter Jr. Um, elephant in the room talking about fully healthy um is that even in play anymore for 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 this if if the core is Jokic, murray and mp gordon like it doesn't seem like that's 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 even on the table anymore is it really i mean maybe it could happen but it seems um unlikely at this point fair to say yeah i think i think a better way to kind of put it is like you might get a stretch with them. You might get two stretches with them, but I think there's, there's kind of an understanding of this is probably going to be a career that's impacted heavily by the injury. I mean, I, I think for a, a front office that I've generally liked most of what they've done, yeah. I still find extending Porter at that number a year early mystifying. Yeah. I think at the time I kind of, under, they've always been in this trap it's an interesting example of how a really fortuitous situation can turn terrible. Like, okay. Uh, you draft him because you're like, we don't even need him. And like, if he works out, look at how great this will be. And he works out just to the point where you feel compelled to pay him, regardless of whether you should have or not, they felt compelled. And then he suffers the back injury. If he was, so if he was a restricted free agent last off season, I get it. It's unfortunate timing. It's for a guy who is, you know, 
it's, I don't think it surprises anybody around the NBA that, that he is an injury risk to pay him that much a year early when you know that, that Murray's going to miss most of the season. Like, I don't they've, know. Just, it, they've had, well, one, I mean, most of the season is correct. They've had, I think, uh, well, let me, let me kind of back up here. They've gone into to free agency sessions in the summers where they had really high hopes and really high expectations and felt like they were in a good spot because it's like, look at our young team and how talented we are and how good we are. And instead of, like, they got no bites. Like, like teams just would not, or players just would not even meet with them. They couldn't get calls. And that, I do think, kind of adapted their approach to a degree where they're like, we have to do everything in order to build a culture to keep people. Like, we have to be a, a player-first organization that goes the extra mile for our guys and their guys and all of these things. We have to be so player-friendly to compensate for market that I think that that played a part. I think that, look, the, the doctors cleared them. You know, like eight specialists were like, hey, it's fine. Um, you know, it's, it's like the, the risk isn't any more than what you would expect in this situation. And you could say like, well, you would expect a lot given his history. I think that's probably accurate. But that to me is like where this kind of comes into is there's a, a complicated layering here of not only it's, it's not necessarily about keeping Porter. It's about what you represent as a franchise and how you take care of players and that they honestly just probably went too far um, I didn't mind the move at, at the time because of what he's shown. Like when he was struggling and couldn't get on the floor because of his defense, I was constantly asked like, well, if he can't play, should they trade him? Should they trade him? And I was like, you can't trade him. He's too, he's too good. Like he's no matter how much of a, of a, of a space cadet he is, he's too good. Like you have to give it a chance because this is like an all-star caliber player when healthy. And yet, like everything, and then on top of it, this happened. So, I, look, it's unfortunate. I think you can definitely say it was a mistake, and I don't even know necessarily. Like, it's not hindsight. I think it's. I said, I, said the time. I, I hated it at the time. I know because, you have to make a risk evaluation. Yeah, and they made the one that they felt was the right one, and they were wrong. I because mean, I, I again, like if you know, if Murray is healthy this year, and you're coming back, and you're gonna, you think you're like that's that's one thing, but knowing that this year was going to be a battle to make the playoffs, which, you know, I think um, is, is how it played out. You know, you certainly without Murray, you don't think you're, you don't think you're a title team without Murray yeah. without him at full strength. So I just like, I don't know. Yeah. It, and I think, it, it, I think year it, of the, information, if nothing else, would be like, you know, you're talking about being a player first organization, you know, I mean, I, like the best way, like there's a lot of things you can do, but the best way is to be really good. Yeah. Like that's like, you know, and it seems like sometimes seems like lose sight of that. Like, okay. Yeah. We can do what we can all do all these other things, but if we suck on the floor, it's not going to matter. Yeah. And I mean, that that's going to be, it's going to continue to be an issue, I think. And that's why, you know, we'll see kind of what happens, but it's, it's an untouchable toxic asset for now. We'll see if they can manage it, massage it or make it, make it work here or somewhere else. But um, MPJ plus what for Russell Westbrook? Let's go. No, I'm kidding. I I (laughs) will. Uh, fair um, trade. What <laughs> What's that? I said fair trade. Uh, um, well, uh, you know, 
we've gone for a little under an hour here. Is there anything else we need to get to? I mean, we kind of we kind of ended up just talking about the three series that played last night. Anything else from this round of the playoffs that you want to? Other than man, new things are things looking up for Boston right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I the one thing I kind of wonder about is just like is is Milwaukee going to find the defense that they need, especially with that mid, right? They're just the threes problem is so glaring right now that I'm I'm just so concerned. I just really think that that Abaka move may have been a critical misstep. I just feel like I I, mm, I think that's immaterial. Like okay. Vincenzo wasn't Vincenzo was bad when he came back. He was bad in Sacramento. That wasn't um. You know, you just you look at and what else was what else was out there at the deadline. Like, yes, they they needed something, but it did really seems like looking at the deadline as a whole, there were not like useful players available for any sort of reasonable. You know, it was like you know, like there there was like the, the Endo asking, but that seems like it's, it was actually true. Like they were like first round or no Terrence Ross. It's like okay, this guy can't even play in the playoffs, but you want a first round, and and that sort of is where you know it 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 it's um it was supposedly like a a, a seller's market in the trade deadline, but the sellers sort of seem to forgot to get that that means you can drive the prices up. You still have to take the highest price, right? Otherwise, it's just it's theoretical. It's like we could have gotten so much for them, but we decided not to because we could have gotten more. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know what was out there for them. Like, um, I kind of also, I kind of think the Hawks are alive. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. I think they're, I think they're alive. When I look at games one and two, they had, they come off of the playing game on the road. They go to Miami, uh, South beach flu early start Sunday. They get work. I mean, I mean so. South Beach flu in the playoffs is, is you know, but let's, let's I I try and be realistic about yeah. about Voop and maybe there was nothing to that, but just I anytime it's Miami, I'm always kind of going to be like, well, maybe that was it. Um, you know, they they start off horribly, they have a, a really bad first half, but then they kind of get back into it. He makes the adjustment and goes to Collins in game two, and they play much better, but they get hit with the Jimmy Butler game, which you never know is coming, and you never know what it's going to look like in terms of, is he going to shoot threes up? Oh, yeah, he did this time. He hits four threes. Um, and then you tip your hat and just go, okay, all right, fair enough. Um, but I like, I like a lot of what they're bringing right now. I, I hunters locked in, which he wasn't in the regular season. Um, I will continue to, to constantly keep for John Collins, even though he makes a ton of mistakes, every mistake that he makes, I go like, okay, yeah, but he'll get better at that. Like, I think he's going to learn that if he never does, then okay. But I just I love the effort that he brings and the skill set that he brings. Um, do I have like a ton of confidence in Trey versus the scheme? I don't, but I also don't have a lot of confidence in the Miami offense because they got a great performance in Game One, and then if that's like if they're I just feel like they're using up a lot of their variables, their their the variant swings. I feel like they use them in Games One and Two, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Hawks got back in the series. Now it's the Hawks. So maybe they'll just lay down at home tonight and be like, nope, we're good. Thanks, though. But I hate trusting them, but the Hawks are so much better at home than on the road this season. They have one of the widest splits, both uh, straight up and against the spread. So um, I kind of like Atlanta in game three, and I think that there's an opportunity for the Hawks to get back in the series. I like Miami a lot. I have some East futures on them. I think that they're, I think they're simultaneously underrated in the market, 
but I also think that this is not as dominant of a matchup as games one and two look like. So Miami, this is kind of the last thing I'll say, then then get you out of here is um, this regular season felt like it was hard to get a gauge on how good teams were up and down. I feel like this is like just record wise. Miami is the team that's about right. And I don't mean the best team in the East. I mean, they were a low fifties win team. And, um, and, you know, and it seems like there's several other teams in the East that have sort of higher ceilings, including presume their presumed second round matchup, the Sixers. I mean, would you pick the heat over the Sixers in the series? Like straight yes. up, not you would, yeah, you'd, I'm, I, you'd pick I, the, you'd pick the, the heat straight up over the Sixers in the series. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking, I'm just, already when that's going to be the matchup, I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet this. I'm going to bet the heat. Yep. Okay. You feel that strongly about it. I do. I do. Okay. I, I think if there's, if there, like, if there's a team that I don't, I, if I don't want Philly to face, it's Boston. If there's two teams, it's Miami. Um, <laughs> A good example of this, like, look, this is a, you know, you know all the reasons this is a perilous stat. Bam Adebayo is seven and three straight up versus Embiid in his career. Okay, fine. A lot of variants there. A lot of different rosters. Uh, Embiid shoots 40% in those games. Okay, a lot of variants there as well. But when you combine, I got Spolstra versus Doc. I've got Butler versus Harden. I've got Lowry versus whoever maxi uh, or uh, like can yeah Lowry, can Lowry stay in front of maxi no and like maxi can have a good series like i think maxi is the best reason for you to for anyone to bet yeah. the sixers right now and i think that's totally valid um cool. but i'm still i still look at the overall context of it and i go look at maxi can be a problem but if you win the mb battle you're gonna win the you're gonna win the game yeah. and i i trust them to be and be way more than I ever trust the Raptors, which I I had no idea what people were taking the Raptors in that series. Yeah, that that makes sense. So, last thing, as of right now, finals prediction. Oh boy, man, the the, the freaking Chris <laughs> thing. Um, okay, given everything, uh, I will say Warriors over Celtics right now in uh, seven. I also okay. think, like, if you'd asked me two weeks ago, or not two weeks ago, if you asked me three days ago, it was Bucks over Warriors in six. Okay, I um, I still think the Suns are are winning the West, but this is okay. obviously like pending Booker. Like, but the fact that that they haven't, they basically have three weeks from now for when they need him. Yeah, I think my concern is just uh, the regular season matchups versus the Warriors. Results, whatever. Win, loss, who cares? But the Warriors showed that they can match up, and then they, they can win a lot of that. I What you're seeing, I think, in this series with the Pels actually forecast a, a real big concern, which is that this is my my concern all along. The Suns, instead of we, we return to the whole thing we are talking about with Jazz Mavericks, instead of keeping it, they could have gotten gone out and tried to find a, a small ball five that could shoot a, a stretch five. And instead, they doubled down and went, we're going to get JaVale and Bismack, and we're just going to play what we do, and we're just going to do it better and better and better and better and better. And when you have a team like the Warriors who are like, yeah, you can be really good at that, but you're facing an uphill climb because of how we play, um, I get really worried. And the lack of flexibility and versatility on Phoenix compared to last year, they're still flexible and versatile, but compared to last season – with campaign a little worse, 
with all with with the Booker injury, with all of these factors, uh, I I lean towards the Warriors in that matchup. The Warriors is the one matchup where kind of the the backup center upgrade is actually not helpful and perhaps anti-helpful. Yeah. Although, I mean, part of the reason why people, that seems like uh, people, and I certainly am, am among them, like a big appeal of Aiton is he seems like the one sort of of the traditional drop E type centers who can best survive. Yes, he can. He'll make it really tough. It'll be a great series. It'll be absolutely fantastic. I just, when I look at the edges, especially like, look, I do think there's a real risk here. I'll tell you this: like, I'm, I, I don't know if the Warriors get there, because I, you know, I obviously thought Minnesota was was going to get there, and so that makes it a lot easier. I worry about this Memphis matchup for Golden State. I worry about that a lot. Do Do you worry about that? You know, Denver is a for reasons we've talked about is a kind matchup that yep. we're gassing up Jordan Poole a little in yep. the same in a similar way to Utah being a kind matchup for Jalen Brunson. To like, circle back to come for a circle on on players that I'm that I'm still you know if uh, on the left edge of of consensus if you will um, th- these are two players who've had big series in you know they've had they've had to take the opportunity but they've had they've they've been put in six, uh, pretty good situations to succeed in these first round series are you yep. so long winded way of saying um, is is there is there a pumpkin potential in Jordan Poole later in the playoffs. Um, I trust Poole. I've been high on him since last year. I had, a, I had to do a lot of Warriors games for BetStream, um, including some really painful ones. So I kind of, like, I bet him for six man of the year and most improved this year. So I'm a believer. Um, for me, I'm less worried about him as I am just about the, look, the Warriors want to play in chaos. Like, that's what they love, is they love playing in chaos. And Memphis absolutely loves playing in chaos. That's where they, they thrive. So for me, I, I, I look at that matchup and I go, I don't think there's ever been a team that could do what Golden State does. Nobody's been able to do it. Memphis is the only team I've ever seen that like can do it. Like they they actually can legitimately play in that style and win, and that's wild but true. I mean, basically, that for that to happen, like the lobs would have to outweigh the threes. Yeah, is. Like that's maybe to be simplistic, but. or Bane has a monster series. Yeah, like Bane has like, the series of his life. I mean, I mean, for for most teams, most teams like the three is sort of a fake almost. It's yep. a fake to get you get you the path to the rim, and the Warriors are one of the few teams where the three is the thing. Yeah, that's so that's that, exactly right. Well, this has been I we, we've solved nothing at least in my mind. I still have no idea what's going to happen. Other than um, somehow my uh, my my uh, my my late season Celtics optimism seems to have uh, circuitously, randomly, and with a Worked dose out. of fortune for them, uh, yeah. <laughs> they anyway. That's uh, in short. Um, I've I've uh, been on been on a little bit of a vacation recently, so this is this is if nothing else, just useful. Ramp me back up and. T- <laughs> into full postseason mode. So uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, do you want to quickly like for anyone who's listening to this probably knows exactly where, but any you want to plug any anything any sort of live streams or anything you got coming up? Uh, yeah, we're doing Twitter bet spaces on NBA bet. Follow twitter.com, dot com. Twitter dot com. Just follow NBA bet on Twitter, and 
Also, I've got podcast buckets. If you like betting and you want to look at it from a betting angle, we talk about it from the numbers perspective. Uh, as far as betting goes, it's a great podcast. Check it out, Buckets, wherever you get podcasts. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for, for joining uh, today, Matt, and for folks listening. Um, welcoming on uh, my, my – uh, Flipping, flipping the, uh, the 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 chairs a little bit. Uh, instead of Dave Dufour being the masters of ceremony for me and Mo, uh, I'm going to be asking Dave his own basketball opinions tomorrow. So join uh, tomorrow afternoon for uh, the the inimitable Dave Dufour. Uh, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Uh, enjoy the games tonight. Take care. <laughs>